Hey guys, it's me again with another podcast. I know I'm a little lazy. Okay, fine, I'm a lot lazy. The inspiration for this podcast is a good friend of mine. In January of 1999, as some of you may know, I joined the American University charge as an undergraduate student. And one of the first group of people that I ran into had my good friend Ansar in it. So I've known him now just just a smidge over 20 years. His story is absolutely amazing. I've known him for a long time. And recently he's gone through something so dramatic that he actually ended up writing a book about it. So I've got him here today. I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and then uh, we'll just have a chat. Hello, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. Um, how much do you want to introduce me? Should I start from the beginning or, or a more recent update? As much as you like. So um, born and raised in the UAE, uh, have lived here pretty much all my life. Um, studied at the American University of uh, Sharjah uh, and then was working in aviation for the past 15 years, 15 odd years. Started off with KLM and more recently with Etihad as, uh, as head of marketing. I am of uh, Indian origin. My parents have been in this country for probably more than 50 odd years. So they've, they've seen the UAE before UAE was, was formed. Um, I consider this home pretty much. But again, um, as a lot of us are privileged, we have multiple houses. I, I come from India and more specifically a place called Kerala. Um, so I, I consider both uh, my homes. Is that a decent Oh, info? fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So... Um, I, I don't want to discuss a lot about the book because I know there's a lot of readers who want to read it. And, you know, while you were along that journey, we were in the, in the background, so to speak. We used to get updates on what's going on. And mostly, you know, we were you know thinking about you in our prayers. So without getting into spoilers, uh, what's the book about? Right. So um, flashback to January 19, sorry, not 19, 2018, I was diagnosed with uh, a lung disease it's called it's a fairly long name idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis to make it easy let's call it ipf okay um, in simple language it's uh, scarring of of your lungs basically your lungs are elastic and imagine that they turn into hard rubber which can't inflate when you take in air okay you become breathless um, generally when you have this disease your life expectancy goes down to between four to five or max seven years. Um, when I was diagnosed, I didn't know at what stage I was in. So no one knew how much, um, how bad it is and, and, and how long uh, I had. But we knew that it was bad. And we knew that it is a progressive disease, doesn't have a cure. Um, over course of time, that worsened. Unfortunately, in my case, that worsened quite quickly. And then eventually I had to be hospitalized. And then that led into um, what you call a double lung transplant surgery. Um, and then it's been six months since that. So it, the, the surgery happened in September 2018. Uh, it's been six months and touch wood things are, are looking good. Um, transplant generally is not a cure for anything. It's a solution to, to f extend your life and to get rid of a problem. Transplants can generally bring other problems to life. You never know. So you kind of need to live life in a disciplined and positive way and, and hope for the best. That's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. What the book contains is a more detailed account from my perspective, uh, as well as the perspective of people around me, okay. of what they had to deal with. J just to cut in over there, mm -hmm. um, you gave an excellent summary. If I can take you back to before all of this had happened, 
And, you know, I, I still I teach at the university. I have a lot of students that come to me talking about career advice, yeah. life advice. And we always, you know, get into sometimes deeper discussions about the purpose and, you know, what are the important things to look at. Huge discussions always revolving around work-life balance. And I have a lot of my students who've graduated since who've come back and asked me the same thing. We're struggling with too much work and, you know, there's work-life balance and we don't find enough time for ourselves. Talk to me about the Ansar before the diagnosis and after. Right. Excellent question. I'm glad you're asking that because hopefully this would be heard by people who follow you as well as your students. And I think that's where this all begins. Um, I've been working for the past, I think, technically 18 years. Right. And pretty much all through this time, I've been a workaholic uh, by choice, not by uh, not by force from anyone. Uh, pretty much every company I've been in um, has had a, a fairly good employee um, work, let's say work behavior. But um, it's all up to us. Right. So each one of us have have our own style. Um, I've enjoyed doing what I'm doing. OK. Um, you know, I've, uh, I was lucky to have worked or studied marketing and that's pretty much the first job I got. Right. And from then on, it's always, always been relating to marketing and relating to the same industry. So I've had a, a good evolution and the answer that was there until December, 2017 is the guy I would be working 14, 15, 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I live in Dubai. I work in Abu Dhabi. So take into account two hours for the commute. Um, I barely saw my kids, which is not something I'm very proud of. Um, I would see them in the morning. By the time I'm back home, they've gone to bed. So the only time I really got time to spend with them was on weekends. Pretty much the same with my wife. Um, And even on weekends, you know, in my head, I was spending time with them. But the reality is a lot of time you spend on your phone. You're you're looking at Mm -hmm. your phone. You're looking at work. You're looking at your social media accounts and, and whatnot. So... The person that I was, was very successful at work, alhamdulillah, but not necessarily successful in a lot of other things. In managing a work-life balance, in, in being um, a good husband, a good father, a good son. My parents live in this country. I'm fortunate in a lot of ways that mm-hmm. so many of these characters are all pretty much in proximity to me. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you could say that I was taking all of this for granted. That's the answer I was there till December 2017. Okay. Which is not a great account, but that is the reality. That is, that is mm-hmm. what I was. Uh, this whole situation put a lot of things in perspective. I don't want to get philosophical and make this a, oh, I saw light and, and my life has changed. But I have understood or I had the opportunity to spend time to reflect and think about um, the impact all these relationships have on any individual, not just me. Right um, about the, the the value of spending time with people at home, um, with friends, um, and uh, and colleagues, and you know to to cut a long story short, you you can love your work and you can do that, but the point is you need to try and be as efficient as you can and mm-hmm. do that to a certain degree. Right? Um, you know everyone works for eight and a half hours or whatever the time is do nine or whatever, but make sure that there is enough amount of time spent on other priorities. Mm-hmm. Might be a hobby, might be spending time at home, might be socializing with uh, with people you care for, whatever it is. But that whole holistic life, 
is what's more important. Yeah. If, if, if things had gone south and, and, and I didn't recover from the situation, my, um, my bio would have been pretty easy to write. This guy worked, worked and worked and that's it, which I don't think is a, is a great thing for anyone. So, um, so yeah, so it is an extremely important lesson. I think it's something that kids should learn from right from university because you get in and you all want to make uh, a difference and you're really motivated and, and excited and, uh, you can easily fall into that trap. And if you didn't understand these things right from that point, it becomes harder to, to change that behavior later. Okay. Okay. I hear you. If I can, I know some of this might be uh, hard to reflect back on. If I can take you back to the moment that you found out, mm-hmm. what, what was running through your mind? Right. I, I can't even ever possibly imagine. So um, in, my, in my situation, it was, it was quite funny in the way this all un- unfound, um, uh, unfolded. So I, was, I found out from a doctor that things look bad, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how bad it was or anything. She preferred that I meet um, what you call a pulmonologist. So then I go meet that person. And that person also didn't show too much expression on his, his face. But he kind of mentioned a few words. So these names that I mentioned mm-hmm. before, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, mm-hmm. I, I, I heard him actually speak to another doctor in a hospital mm-hmm. and say that this looks like a case of blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening to him trying to kind of figure out what is he meaning? Is it serious? And stuff like that. Um, and then he said, okay, I'm sending the person to you. Because his point to me was you need to be treated in a hospital and not a clinic, which okay. is why he referred me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I then quickly googled up what yes. this is um which is when um and you know you know how it works on google where you type this and then you get a little bit and then you've got like a whole selection of questions that you could just click on yes and you're the, seeing stuff the right? suggestions yes so one of the suggested questions was um life expectancy so obviously that's the first thing i want to click right because you have no <laughs> idea like you don't know oh, what yes. it is so i click that and then the next thing i see is it says um Four to, four to seven years or something like that. And I'm like, well, hang on. Does it mean your life will reduce by four to seven years? Because then I'm like, that's fine. That doesn't sound that bad. Or does it actually mean it's actually four to seven years? And by the time I figured all this, I've reached the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then I meet the doctor. And then he did a few tests. And then he takes me so quietly to a room to kind of explain. And I'm like, I have no idea what, what I'm going to hear now. And... Um, like f- physically I've been lucky that I've not had to go to hospitals too many times for myself um, so I went and then he, st- he starts speaking to me really slowly and then he goes uh, you've got this problem it's progressive uh, things with the lung once it's affected there's no cure blah 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 and I'm like sitting there shivering thinking what is he going to say now because in my head it's like it's cancer which is a potential situation or it's something else and then he tells me this name and I'm like, oh, what in the world is that? Um, eventually he said, um, listen, we can manage this with medicines, but you'll have to be, um, you'll have to have this for a long time. So you kind of need to, to think about it. And anyways, we need to do more tests, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> last thing he tells me before we left the room is he goes, if you have a question about this answer, speak to another doctor, you know, I can refer you to other doctors. If you've got doctors in your family, speak to them, but don't Google it. And I'm like, 
already did that. <laughs> Ooh, that ship has sailed. But um, so that, this is how I got introduced to to the disease, right? So uh, it wasn't clearly somebody telling me this is the situation. So it's a, a summary of various conversations. But for me, at that point of time, even though I didn't, I didn't talk about it to my wife Shana or something. Um, my my first reaction is how if something happens how would their life be so mm-hmm. uh my wife and uh, and my kids so my kids are six and four they're pretty small that's that's first that's the first reaction so everyone's asked me later did you contemplate death were you scared were you this were you that and i'm like to be honest i wasn't really thinking too much about what would happen to me um it didn't it didn't come across obviously something in the past that i would have thought about and i would be worried but it wasn't what was bothering me at the point of time like if i if i put a scale on what bothered me most number 1 would be what would happen to shana and the kids number 2 was my parents my sister and the slightly extended family number 10 was what would happen to me right and between number 2 and um and 10 it was like random things that kept coming in and going out right but i was surprised about that myself because i'm like what's going to happen but um it's surprising and i think it's it's all part of i think when you have a family things change what you think about and what you feel about and how much you care for yourself versus other people change mm-hmm. i think i agree with you so um so that was my introduction to this and how i felt about it That's very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> you know, you talked about um, your wife and children and you know your parents and the family. Um when did you let them into the fold? Um very quickly. So um so one of the interesting things about our family is that so we've got like I've got uh, parents and a sister. My sister is married. Um and it's just so technically is the four of us plus Shana and my brother-in-law and our kids, right? um things like this travel quite quickly and everyone's pretty transparent with each other mm-hmm. about w- what's going on so as soon as um this happened and we were in the hospital we had told them to come over uh shana's dad had also come over so technically we had my parents and shana's dad in the hospital and we told them this is the situation obviously we didn't go into life expectancy and details mm-hmm. it was more about what the doctor said which okay. is there's a problem it's progressive and we kind of need to manage it with medication and stuff so um, obviously they were i mean that in itself was hard for them to take right let we, we could we didn't have to even go further to mm-hmm. to, to kind of make it uh, a lot different and uh, and again um i now relate to this because if um, my kids have even a small injury i'm devastated right mm-hmm. yeah So imagine um and I'm I'm 39 years old but for my mom I'm still a child right she has to call me every day twice a day my to check on me in the morning my I can imagine she asks me if I had lunch man exactly look so, at my size <laughs> <laughs> so um so when you're when you're kind of in that environment um even imagining what they're going through is is kind of hard um so that was that was the intro and then obviously things got a lot more challenging when when we started moving forward with treatment and stuff but that was the beginning yeah you know it's as you said you you have to 
bring in the family into the loop and you know you let them know and then of course as you said perspective is very important you think of your children you want to know everything you worry mm-hmm. about them even for the smallest issue at the same time you don't see that perspective with your parents because mm-hmm. you're like oh they're my parents i need okay. to protect them let me not you know freak them out and, exactly. and but you forget that you're their kid okay so i think a lot of relationships and and those sort of things you you appreciate the different perspectives and Correct. everyone's the amount that they care for you and such talk to me about how the wife took it it i right. don't i don't think by any measure it's easy to hear that you know your loved one the one you plan to spend the rest of your life with might be gone in a couple of years Correct. so um i must say so let's just start with personalities to start with right before before any of this came in i'm more the um she might not like me saying this as such but let's say i'm the more calm headed between the two of us mm-hmm. right um she is an artist so by nature she's more temperamental um there are there are times where she's super excited there are times where she's super moody right you kind of oscillate between mm-hmm. these so the way i can take this and the way she can take this can be quite quite different but what i was amazed by was that even when we heard it the first time and through the time that we were in the hospital for the first time in in dubai she kind of kept a very sane head a very calm head um we never discussed we kind of discussed you know what do we do how do we go about it and stuff i was never comfortable discussing what would life be if things don't didn't go well because i didn't even want to consider that situation because in my head i was like i have to make this work one way or the other or the other we will find a way to to make this work so why are we even discussing that right mm-hmm. um to to create a situation where we are looking stressed and we are thinking about stuff which might, we might not want to think about um obviously much later when i heard her side of the story she was like why didn't you even speak to me about it because i'm th- <laughs> i'm sitting there thinking if this didn't ha- if this didn't work out what am i going to do right and i'm like yeah so there was a difference of opinion there <laughs> but through the time we were both quite calm and we and and composed and and we stayed um as we went on what i saw was that she turned into a warrior in the sense she was speaking to or she was researching about this mm-hmm. finding out um the possible treatments and stuff like that she was speaking to doctors in different parts of the world trying to find out what can be done etc speaking to friends who who knew other people and stuff like that i wasn't doing any of this um two reasons one is i was this is a horrible thing to say because i was really busy with work <laughs> <laughs> it kind of puts things in perspective right but um partly that and partly because i i didn't want to get drowned into potential negativity which is kind of what you're going to read about in a lot of cases you you're kind of reading about the the problems and stuff of course there's also people's content about what has worked and people who went through surgery and, and stuff like that but at that point of time I, i didn't right she did um which helped immensely because when the doctors are speaking to us here she was well prepared for a lot of things she knew where she could reach out to um for various things and stuff like that So that that was a phase where I was like wow this is amazing 
Um, and then we went to uh, Chennai, which is um, towards the later stage of the disease. And by the time it had gotten quite worse. Um, in Chennai, we had her, we had my dad, mom, and uh, Chanel's dad, and then a few other people. And, and for listeners, just to give you um, a quick brief, this is what, what Ansar is now talking about is the disease had rapidly progressed. Correct. And now we were talking about not treatment, but transplant. Correct. So I had to be, I had to get a lung transplant done. Unfortunately, in the UAE, we didn't have a very strong registration system, uh, which we do now. Uh, but at that time, it wasn't there. And uh, because of that, the doctors had advised that I go to India and, and uh, uh, pursue the treatment there. So it's easier to find a donor and go through the, the, the surgery. So I was air ambulance because by that time I needed a massive um, supply of oxygen, which you don't get on a regular plane. So when Shana's in the hospital in, in India, I'm in the ICU, so I'm kind of stuck in, in a room. Um, she was basically managing everything. Right now you have uh, just, again, some people might get this and might be a, there might be a cultural context to this, but we are talking about a girl who's mid-30s having to deal with two dads, both upwards of 65, and one mom who's probably in her 50s. And all of them fairly well opinionated people. And this girl was kind of managing all of these personalities and the doctors, as well as me, in between that scenario. Um, if I think about it now, and I go back and I'm like, that's a very different person from the one I knew. Mm -hmm. um, because the one I knew, like I mentioned before, is, is, this, um, is this really passionate person uh, like an artist who's not the the structured yeah I'm gonna do things in a particular way it's all you know spontaneous and I, I live each day as it comes and that person is then turned into this person who's kind of managing everyone she was the CEO of my treatment organization let's put it that way that is um, that was unbelievable to see and I only saw a little bit because I was kind of sedated for most of the time um, I saw it after the surgery and I heard a lot about it from everybody around uh, which is unbelievable, which is why um, I wanted to make sure that the book featured that properly, not as my perspective, but as hers, because it wasn't me, it was her. Right? And and uh, I must say, it has been a massive blessing to have that kind of support. That's great to hear. Talking about support, um, and I'll share this with the listeners. Uh, Ansar was very, very private, and it's understandable. And, you know, outside the close family, you know, there's friends, and some of us go back even more than 20 years. I know you myself 20 years, and I, and I, I know you have friends from your childhood because, you know, you grew up in the UAE. Right. Why, why not share with them earlier than you decided? Because I remember, you know, if memory serves me correctly, you, you decided to open up about this or you rather you gave permission to your close friends to open up about this quite later. When, when this happened, initially the family collectively or more my parents uh, on both sides weren't very keen on discussing this with people. Um, and I think that's, that's generally how we've been. Um, if there's been ups and downs generally at home, uh, we've kind of kept 
a low profile is an internal thing we we fix that we move forward that's how it's kind of always been um of course you have the the other view which is the more people you inform the the more people who would support and and pray for you and mm-hmm. and stuff like that so this i i see both sides but this was the 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 approach we had taken um i kind of in general i'm i i i'm not i don't like to be too secretive about things so the people who are really close to me I, i normally do tell them in this particular case because even i didn't want to spend too much time sitting and talking about it i only mentioned it to two people um so i kind of left it there in the office inevitably i had to speak to more people about it because i was out for quite some time so i had to tell them that this is the case i didn't go into super detail with them they, but they knew that something like this happened and i had kept it away the thing is we didn't know that this would progress so quickly right so um we informed most people when we decided that we'll head to chennai for the the transplant because now i'm traveling i'm out, i'm outside the country um and I, and you know when i'm going to chennai i'm in this state of mind where i might make it i might not make it right so i was like i might as well make sure that people who are around me do know now and that's when i uh, i told uh, chennai to to let a few people know and then that kind of cascaded further mm-hmm. so it wasn't i mean like i said there's there's the two different schools of thought yeah. of you know yeah. how you could approach it uh, we are taking the first one um is that good or bad i've had a lot of people come back and tell me this especially after the surgery is like and their point was fair their point was uh, if we knew this before we could have all prayed for you and you know that's that's the only thing but the other side is also and this is i think where my parents saw it firstly they found it difficult to talk to people about it and secondly yeah. it would also kick off this whole um what's the word I don't want to put it in a in a bad way but there would be a lot more emotion floating in yeah which have made it a lot harder for pretty much everybody yes. so i think there's there's both ways i don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way but it's what people are more comfortable with that they eventually choose no i i hear you on that i absolutely do i think as you said very rightfully it's very tricky to find where would that balance would be and when would be the right time um i what i can tell you is from all the common friends that we have all of us as and when every single person found out you know they were praying for you they were praying for the family and we are all happy that you're still here <laughs> <laughs> thank you now the 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 response and again there's a there's a funny story about this um so i told shana to let a few people know right and she did that and then they let others and and mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's people from school people from university people from my first job um and people from etihad who are all now talking about this and sending messages and yeah and checking on me and stuff i mean i must say that that in itself was, has been a massive blessing but the part where i find it um i find quite overwhelming because um like i said i was a guy who only worked a lot of these people i never spoke to for a long time i mean if we met i think probably a few years back right and and that's been the case with pretty much most people so and i hear this all after the surgery during mm-hmm. the time i'm in the hospital i have no idea about most of these things so one of the first things she and that told me after the surgery is i didn't know you had so many friends because <laughs> she's like 
we never met anyone yeah and then all of a sudden there's like hundreds of people messaging me yeah. and i'm like i'm really sorry but yeah it's another learning from this whole thing that you know today we've got every possible tool available yeah to be in touch with people but not necessarily everyone is and and that's not great no i i agree with you and i was actually thinking on the drive over i i i've seen your kids grow up on instagram uh, you know I, i know what you're up to through all the social channels and on the way back i was really thinking i'm like when is the last time i saw him in person and i could be wrong but i think it was a few years ago when i was driving yes to abu dhabi right. and i saw you at the gas station that's correct and then you were like 15 seconds for 15 seconds and you're like oh yeah this is the gas station i was getting my coffee at <laughs> i'm like oh, okay cool man it's good to you all good good kids good good you good good that's it we went and you're not the only one all, all of us i think actually the vast majority of us are guilty about the whole work 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 thing it's kind of just ingrained into us school study good grades good grades good college good college good job good job promotion it's just this thing that never ends okay and you know while you're doing that you forget to live your life okay and you know the the toughest part is i started thinking a lot about these things when mm-hmm. i found out about the disease and i yeah. was at home because i couldn't work because i had to be um, connected to an oxygen machine yeah. right So my point was we did all this but I didn't spend as much time to see my kids grow up. Um that opportunity is not going to come again. Right? And then you start thinking why? And you know, if you spent an hour lesser at work, yeah, would life have you know, w- <clears throat> would work have been so different? Maybe not, right? But an hour extra that you would have got with people that you love would have meant that you could do other things with them. And and then and you're starting to think about these things when you find out that there's no time that's not great for me that's one of the biggest things that hit me hard that you know and, and you know and let's use a more practical example a lot of people are not very keen to go to a doctor mm-hmm. when they feel that they've got a problem right procrastinate because they don't like doctors or they just feel that it's a, it's a small thing and it'll go away whatever yeah. right um i do that a lot Shana hates doctors. She can't <laughs> deal with a hospital or a clinic. I don't have that. I'm not that severe, but I would procrastinate on things because I was I was busy and you know, I would go to a doctor when I had time. Mm-hmm. Not that I would go to a doctor because there's a problem. Yeah. So you could do that and a lot of people do it. But then what are you going to do when the doctor says that there's no there's only X amount of time? Right? Yeah. And and it's reached a a stage where it's um you know, it's reached a particular stage. what's the point of having a delayed it that long you know and and once it's too late it's too late it, it, the moment's gone right and that's that's something that everyone should think about like you know of course people don't like going to doctors most people don't like going to doctors but <coughs> when you have a problem and you need to fix it you need to fix it quickly yeah. so yeah so you know in our talks you've talked about the ansar you know pre-diagnosis and post I want to talk about two different ansars. Pre-transplant, post-transplant. Who's who's the man who flew on an air ambulance, you know, got a double lung transplant? Who's the man that came back? Right. So the guy who flew out was um to be honest, ever since I found out about the disease, 
the way my thinking has changed that's kind of been consistent before and after the surgery mm-hmm. right, so the guy who flew out uh, for the transplant and the guy who's come back is pretty much the same and the consistent point between both being um the amount of positivity i have luckily in general in life i've not struggled too much with that particular aspect to stay positive right probably it's a factor of work working in marketing you kind of having to deal with stressful environments all through right because you're eventually the last touch point of any project before it goes out into market so you kind of don't have a lot of lead time have to do things quickly have to do them efficiently and stuff so if you don't have a calm head it becomes hard mm-hmm. so that's for me that's normal so when the situation came up what my head said was whatever has happened in the past is gone the only thing you can do is is move forward and uh whatever treatment needs to be done we go ahead right it might be painful it might be hard it might be emotionally difficult but there's only one option which is to go ahead after treatment that's been pretty much the same um the challenges before treatment was breathing after treatment was not breathing <laughs> but was uh you know sitting up standing up i can't do any of those things so you kind of had to learn all of those again and and again you know what i kept telling myself is this is not great today but if you need it to be looking better tomorrow you kind of have to work towards it so if i were to say this in another way for people thinking about the future it's we kind of need to build a, a discipline to manage our mind now it's a hard thing to explain but basically you know it's so easy for us especially in today's news feed slash instagram generation where everything has to happen quickly and everything has a lifespan of a few seconds slash minutes if lucky ours it's so easy to give up as one and people kind of use this excuse and this might sound harsh but people kind of use this excuse saying i can't deal with this anymore or i've had enough of this or um, you know it's not in my control and um, i couldn't help it If you think about all of these sentences you can actually help it and you can deal with it it's just that you, not, you need to train your mind to be able to do that physically if you can't do something i get mm-hmm. it yeah right so in my situation physically i couldn't breathe so when i say i can't do this it's a fact but at that point of time i could stay calm or i could be hysterical that's in your hands mm-hmm. after the surgery when i couldn't stand up and i needed five people to pick me up um you know that wasn't great and i could say and 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 to take two steps from my bed to the chair felt like i'm walking a kilometer it was so easy to say i can't do this and at that time progress seemed to be like the slowest thing on earth right um it took me a month to kind of be able to walk and every day i had to do a uh, physiotherapy which i hated with a passion <laughs> uh, i didn't like going to the gym anyways before <laughs> so for that kind of a person it was so easy to say you know i can't do this yeah um and if i said that i'm only killing myself right mm-hmm. and yeah, in a university setting for instance you've got projects you've got deadlines you've got studies you've got quizzes all of these things going on and it is so easy for somebody to hate a subject and say i can't do this but you can 
fact is you just need to tell yourself that you can and not be again might sound harsh but i think it's the only way to say it we all have to stand up and stop being lazy and and stop using excuses that we can't do something because the fact is you can it's just that you need to put your mind to it so that's that's the answer from before and the answer from from after you, from man. from that's, that's, that's great to hear let me let me ask you about you know now all is said and done you're back home you're with the family you know i see you walking around you're on the road to recovery you know there's i'm sure uh, there are difficulties and challenges for someone who's gone through what you have on a daily basis and you know we were just talking a little bit earlier before we started recording about how you've started to go back to work on a semi you know part-time basis and that's going to slowly you know increase and whatnot looking back you know looking back at all the people that were involved in this and looking back at all the people and all the things that were done and you know you got to hear about many of the things afterwards who do you want to give a shout out to let me put it like that who do you want to you know give a little bit of recognition to that's a tough one so let's put it this way there's a few right mm-hmm. can't be can't be one but to start with is god um and just and again we live in an environment today where it's almost fashionable to be an atheist um the reality is this i was there was one particular day but i'm in bed i'm on a ventilator so i'm sedated i'm uh, uh, a machine is doing the job of my heart and my lung and the doctors are sitting with my family having a conversation saying this is where he is and these are the uh, the things we can do the first reaction from pretty much most of my let's say my two dads is doctor just tell us what needs to be done do you need money do you need this do you need that do you need we'll do any of these things and the doctor's response is all you can do is pray none of the other things will work right and this was probably 8 days before before the surgery so human beings need to understand that there is a force above which kind of has a big role to play in any of our lives so that's the first not person but the first force i would want to thank it would be extremely unjust of me if i left out any person in this journey right different people have done different things people were um, either by my side people were uh praying wherever they were based they were forming groups and 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 holding prayers um some people made donations not to me but to charity and and stuff like that one particular friend of mine was sacrificing a goat each week for those who don't understand that that's an islamic tradition and that's quite a pious and and generous thing to do she was a lot of love and compassion um each of these people have all played a part in what eventually is leading to my recovery and I'm me being here right if i name that's a lot of names to be pulled <laughs> out um but my my point is rather than you know use any particular forum to specifically call people out what i can say is that from then on till today and and till till the time i have my last breath i'm thanking god and thanking them in my prayers every time um and that's the least i can do i would say that nice nice going back let me talk to you about your book um i've had a chance to go through it the story is essentially in a lot more detail 
um, a lot of interesting perspectives on a lot of different scenarios. Where can we get a copy? Right. So firstly, the book is called uh, Who Took My Breath Away? That's the title. Uh, it is currently available on Amazon globally. So depending on market, you might either find it as an ebook only or paperback only or both. Um, apart from that, in the Gulf region, it's available on souk.com. And in the UAE, it's also available in, in a couple of uh, bookstores such as Kinokunia in Dubai Mall, as well as uh, Jashan Mall in Festival City. And hopefully there'll be more stores to come in the upcoming weeks. But right now, we've got a global option on Amazon and all the other options in the UAE. Fantastic. Um, listeners, I'll be posting links to all of the above on the podcast website, as well as on the description of the podcast uh, feed. So, and again, if you have any questions, I know you have an Insta page also. Yes. It's uh, all my social feeds, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, um, or Twitter, are called uh, Inside Ansar. Um, basically, it was my, um, it, the, 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 the objective is to, to let people know what's going on inside my head. Right now, a lot of it is about the book, but hopefully <laughs> in the future is also about other projects I might work on, uh, be it uh, writing or anything else. That's great to hear. It's good to still have you around, man. Thank you so much. And usually I'd like to end and say something cool. I think today I'm actually going to end the podcast with an apology. Oh. <laughs> and the apology is that I'm actually very embarrassed to say that it has taken something of this nature for us to be sitting across the table from each other. Well, I should apologize for that as well. <laughs> so what I'm going to say is that not only is there a blanket invitation for a shamelessly, ridiculously huge barbecue at any time, but that blanket invitation will, from now going forward, contain specific dates, times, and locations. Yes, I think that, I think that discipline would work for both of us. <laughs> I, I hear you, brother. I hear you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for I having really me. appreciate it. I much appreciate it. I'm so happy that you can actually breathe. <laughs> I can. I, and, 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 and have this podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.